0: It might be hard to imagine the world-renowned philosopher of existentialism, Jean-Paul Sartre, in a park in Paris putting on puppet shows. But some see these little playlets as the way Sartre began to appreciate the power of theater in people's lives. Dr. Dennis Gilbert explains, French writer Simone de Beauvoir is the first to mention the marionette pieces and their importance for the young Jean-Paul Sartre. As a schoolchild, he delighted in inventing complicated and mysterious adventures on his own, whether he was acting out his own plays in a little puppet theater in the Luxembourg gardens or covering pages of paper with his writings. Finally, Beauvoir inquires of Sartre about the transition from the attraction of sketch performance to the task of more extended dramatic writing. But did you go back to the idea of writing plays? Sachs reply focuses on his attempts at operetta, the operetta form, from 1917 to 1920. Oh yes, I wrote parodies and operettas. I discovered the operetta at La Rochelle, where I used to go out to the municipal theater with my school friends. And under its influence, I began one myself. In 1934, Sachs and Beauvoir attended the performance of The Passion at Oberamagau, just in time for the 300th anniversary of the event. Friends, backed by general public opinion, had most strongly advised us to see the celebrated Passion Play at Oberammergau. The village had been struck by plague in 1633, and it was in 1634 that the inhabitants had, for the first time, solemnly acted out the death of Jesus. In the village, Sartre and Beauvoir admired both the extension of the play into the lives of the people. The facades of the houses were a riot of carved flowers and animals, garland motifs and trompe-l'oeil windows. And the willingness of these people, the actors themselves, who had been busy for years rehearsing their parts in the passion play to perpetuate this theatrical tradition. Most of all, though, they were struck by the event, by the performance, by the theatricality of the experience. We had little taste for displays of traditional folk culture, but the Oberammergau Passion Play was great theater. The stage was both wide and deep enough to make vast crowd scenes possible. A women's choir provided a commentary on the drama to the accompaniment of some extremely pleasant 17th century music. As for the style of acting, it was so sinewy and competent the cast achieved a kind of truthfulness which had nothing to do with realism. With the threat of war, Beauvoir does not proceed directly through a discussion of The Flies to ask about Sartre's playwriting, but rather concedes that in fact The Flies was not the first one written by Sartre and that his initial serious theatrical experience had actually occurred some years earlier within the confines of the prison camp in which he had been held during the war. We now know it to be Baronia. Beauvoir's post-war narrative regarding this play focuses on two interconnected points, the play as a form of resistance and as an example of situated theater. The subject of the nativity performed at Christmas provided Satch with the theatrical distance necessary to communicate a bit of hope and some of his ideas to his comrades despite the surveillance and the censures that surrounded any attempt this surprising religious context then allowed him to represent the drama of the occupation in france in a very transparent manner since he had conceived his subject in the following way he described judea occupied by the romans the temptations of despair and collaboration that were there in this little country crushed by an immense power and yet a part of the population had the will to affirm their resistance. In addition, the circumstances of the performance created a tangible bond between Sartre and his audience, who were all prisoners, united by the same situation, coming to listen to what one of their own had to say to them. The result was not the spectacle of Baronia. It was that Sartre began to understand the true nature of literature in general, and dramatic literature in particular, that it was not simply a distraction, an escape, or even a contemplation of certain eternal truths, but that it was truly an action and must be situated in time, in space, and in concrete situations. That from the essay, one is not born a dramatist. Intrepidus Theater Lab kicks off its 2022 season With the Flies by Jean-Paul Sartre. And from what we've heard about Sartre and what we'll learn about Justin John Costello, founder and artistic director of The Lab, the match is a good one. We had a chance to speak by phone with Costello about the way his vision was formed.
1: I was reared in the theater. Granted, I was from here, but I was reared in New York. When I went to Fordham University, I had teachers such as Joe McIntosh, Larry Sacklero, John Glair, Ellen McLaughlin, who really showed a different side of theater. There was Broadway, then there was Downtown. The New York Performance Works is a company that was a sister of New York Theater Workshop. And I kind of worked there as well, and I met different types of people and discovered there's more to theater than Stanislavski. And what drew me was the notion of ritual and movement, and stylization. And, of course, with that came Artaud and Grotowski. So when I formed Intrepidus, it means fearless. And I wanted to bring not Broadway or Uptown Theater, but the dark, the more gritty theater of downtown to the area with productions that would be challenging. We called it the Intrepidist Theater Lab after the performance group, which was formed in the 60s back in New York, And my teacher and mentor, Joe McIntosh, was actually a founding member of that. They did Dionysus 69 there. I wanted to base the lab on a place not only to do these experimental works, but a place for all artists to come and grow. With every show I pick and we pick, it's about not only challenging myself, but giving the opportunity for the actors and the company and the technicians to come in and grow and stretch their boundaries. So we're always seeking material that will allow us to do that. And being, I think, from the New York-style theater, things that would frighten people here don't frighten me. It's a challenge. And so I like to take those controversial, provocative subjects and, and explore them. For me, there's nothing worse than I call them a passive audience. I want an audience to be stirred, to think, to be provoked, to talk about something, ultimately to change by the experience of what they've witnessed. A lot of that is in both Gortowski and Artaud as well, how so much of what they call Western theater, it's, it's brechtian, it's epic, it's, there's a detachment there. We break down that fourth wall. The audience is right there in your face. The actors are right there. And it's that energy transfer between actor and audience and actor and actor and audience and audience that it, it makes a charge through the production. And it kind of stirs, stirs you up and your emotions and brings them to the forefront. And that type of activity, I guess, it's almost a, a spiritual awakening in a weird way, where it is, it is changing. It's life-affecting, even for a moment. And with everything we do, we, we strive to do that because we think art is meant to affect people. It's there for a reason,
0: so you have found an audience? Are there people who want to come to the theater to see what you're doing?
1: That's what's crazy. Our first production was another one of Sartre's. It was no exit. We closed. And we literally created a room and locked these people in a room for an hour and 45 minutes on wooden benches and turned the heat up. And we were like, who's going to come? Well We got some people. It wasn't hugely populous. The next show we did was Quill's. And of course, if you know Doug Wright's play, it's all about censorship. It was written as a result of censorship, what was going on at the time of artists. And as soon as people found out that we were doing quills and that there'd be full nudity, male full nudity in the show, for about 60% of the show, the marquee is nude because they take away his clothes, they take away his ink and everything. And he just wants to write. And the actor, Adam Zawatsky, he was a trooper. As soon as people found out we were doing that, we we were called pornographers. We were called, you know, what are you doing? You can't do that. Well, when we put that show on, the theater from Philadelphia came. The Walnut, the Wilma, you know, the Arden, Bloomsburg Theater, BTE, came. The Pennsylvania State Theater from up by Harrisburg. Those were the type of clientele that we got. And we ended up nearly selling out quills. And then the next shows, and as we kept going, more and more people started coming. And, you know, we're a very intimate house. Our top max is 50. But we've been managing to sell out every, every show. And we don't do everything that's crazy. We did Dracula, you know, <laughs> and, and that type of stuff. But slowly and slowly, we're finding that we are getting the audience, because people want to be stirred. They want this type of theater. So it's kind of a shock to us that, oh, yes, there is... There is an audience for this. It's, a, it's an audience that they want to think. They want to be challenged. So it's kind of been good. We're slowly finding our niche.
0: So that brings us to Sartre. Why now? The play was written
1: as a play of resistance. Sartre started it in forty-one in Paris during the Nazi occupation, and it premiered June 3rd in forty-three alongside his contemporary Henri's Medea which we just did last year. And it really talks about how people could go along with everything because it's the easier way to live. They get used to it, they get trapped into it. But to really stand out and be an individual and to take that freedom upon yourself, that's a whole different thing, and that makes you an outcast. That brings you to exile. And so he took the story from the Orsaya and transposed it to this, where everyone's a symbol of Something that was going on, whether it's the, the Nazi or Ricci government, or it's the SS, or it's the people themselves who allowed this to happen overnight, this takeover, this occupation. If you think back to the recent years, look what's been happening with the United States. People are jumping on bandwagons. People are doing things and not really thinking with themselves. There is a mass populace and a mass group thing. And then, you know, that could be kind of scary. And if you don't agree with a certain group of people, there's no more conversation. There's just attacks. And it's so easy help for that to turn into, like, say, mob violence. So when I was looking for something to do, I kept thinking about that and kept thinking about resistance and individuality and, and what does it mean to be truly free and I pulled out my Sartre book and I started reading. And it struck me. Because you think, oh, this is just a story of, you know, Orestes coming back home and, and killing those who killed his father. But what Sartre did is he added a completely different layer to it. And it's so much deeper and so much more intellectual and complex than I think when I first started rehearsals for this three months ago that I never even thought. So... That's kind of what drew me to it, and I will say this has been one of the challenging productions we've done at the lab.
0: Sounds complex. There's Electra and Orestes and Zeus. Do we need to know the story, the the myth? That's what he does. He takes all three of the
1: Orestia plays, Agamemnon, the libation there is, and then the Eumenides, and he combines them. So it will help if you know, okay, this is what's going on, so that you don't think that Orestes is Oedipus or something like that. But it's so laid out, because a lot of this is about storytelling. And, yes, Zeus is in it, but Zeus is pretending to be someone else. Orestes, for the first half of the play, pretends to be someone else. And so it's about what they hear, and they recount and tell the stories of what happened to Agamemnon and what happened 15 years ago. And what the flies represent, because the flies are a symbol that were sent by the gods. The flies, of course, are the Furies. So you don't need to really know the myths to understand, because in the first scene, it's laid out right there for you. When Zeus walks on stage and basically says, I was there the day it all happened. Let me tell you about what happened when Agamemnon returned from the war, from Troy. And I'll tell you why this town is where it is. Because the town at that time, Argos, it's completely littered with flies. Everyone is forced to be in a complete state of guilt and penitence and just groveling and begging to be forgiven for their sins. And some of these people haven't even been weren't even around. It's not their sins. But yet they live in this world where if they could show how guilty they are and how horrible they are, maybe they could be forgiven. And half of it is false truths. They're saying it to get by. They're saying it to go along with the crowd. And immediately in that first scene, you, you notice what's going on. And then it kind of just takes off from there, <laughs> you know. But it will be understood by the audience what, what happened in the myth.
0: You mentioned at the start ritual and the great theater people who have been proponents of ritual theater what are the ritual aspects here?
1: That's a funny thing we say that, because the second scene, the entire scene, or rather 70% of the scene, it's one ritual. So there's a ritual written into the show. The ritual takes place on what they call Dead Man's Day, or the Argos version of the Day of the Dead. And we have cast and company, they get bound together by ropes and placed in front of this so-called cave, which we use, we have vertical blinds. As we're setting it in noir. And they have to wait there, and this priest comes, and there's incense and all this stuff. And the dead, all who wronged them, all who they were horrible against, come back into the world for 24 hours to taunt and live with these people and to share their beds and share their meals. And it's interesting that the play kind of stops for this ritual. And the ritual is only broken when Electra after meeting this young stranger that she thinks is Philebus, defies the orders of her mother and stepfather and shows up not in black, but shows up white and latent during the ritual and tries to open up everyone's eyes. And then the whole ritual kind of collapses down. So there's an actual ritual in the show. Other forms of ritual that we use is is the introspection. We use a lot of staging for ritual placements. I'm a very visual director in that Yes, the language of the play speaks and shows something. Well, the visual side of the play also has to. So with the staging, you'll see a lot of triangles. You'll see a lot of symbols that are formed and altered and changed. And the movement of the set and the individuals, it's almost like it's a secular secular motion that becomes ritualistic based on where they're standing.
0: Now, the photos that you sent show people in modern dress. It's because it was written in the 40s. We were doing a touch of noir. So we're
1: taking it from that 40 setting. So the guys are in the suspenders and that the women are in those shot aisle dresses. And we're setting it there. And our entire set is big pieces of four feet wide by seven feet tall blinds that move around the entire state. And so we're really creating that that gangster atmosphere because that's how the king of Jesus rules the rules the town. He's a gangster. And Orestes is the man that comes home to reclaim his father's throne. And when dealing with Greek in order to make that a little more contemporary, but not to throw things into people's faces. I find if you take a genre and you use that genre to mask it. When you're dealing with, especially advertising, and make a, a provocative advertisement piece, people go, like, Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to see that. And then once they get there, they have in their heads expectations. And then what we do, and we try to do it with all the shows, we flip it on its head and we give them something they never expected or never even knew they wanted. So, you know, by using the noir style, there's going to be lots of experimental lighting, music. Fog. It's going to be difficult for them to see, especially with the blinds. But the truth is often like that. You have to work to try to find out the truth. You have to work to find out the details. And they talk in the play a lot about how when Agamemnon was being murdered, the former king, the townspeople all went and bolted their doors, but then peeked out their windows. And throughout the entire town, they heard his screams as he was being slaughtered in his bath a sort of ecstasy ran through the town. And Zeus compared the town to a woman in heat by what they were experiencing from hearing it and the visceral reaction of their king being murdered. And that, that notion of characters peeking through curtains, peeking through blinds, that again added to the decision to, huh, maybe let's use blinds as a visual symbol from the, for the set. And when you think of blinds, I always think of Noir. Because they're used extremely, you know, well with with noir and the German expressionism, which again goes back to when the the play was written.
0: Now we think of the Greek theater, we think of the word tragedy and tragedy and comedy. Is there any way we can talk about this piece as tragic or a tragedy?
1: I believe it is tragic. Although there is some comedic elements in it, it's very much in the vein of tragedy. Whereas the Oristia, the way it ends, the third piece, the Amenities, it, it's, it, it goes from being about the gods and Orestes is on trial and he ends up being acquitted of the murder. In The Flies, it's a much darker ending. You see a man have to choose between his family, his identity that he's been looking for the entire time, or himself and solitude and exile. And based on what he chooses, he loses something immense in his life. And definitely, I would put that in in the realm of tragedy. I think that it's a very somber ending and a very thought-provoking ending, leaving the audience sitting there wondering, what would I do? What have I done?
0: And that's just what Sartre wanted his audience to experience then. Exactly. Exactly. Do we know how the play was received when it was first presented? You said 43, 1943,
1: 1943? 1943, June thirty, it premiered. In my research, he had mentioned that he wrote this for a particular audience who would get what he's saying. He wrote people to resist. When it premiered, some people got it. Other people didn't. Other people knew what it was, but were afraid to say anything. And whereas with say, on We, what he did with Antigone and Medea, they had based on emotions. Those were two very emotional, human-driven plays. Sartre being (laughs) Sartre. His Nietzsche, his existentialism, wrote these plays that were very intellectual, with very little heart. So when the people are on there, on stage, saying words like liberty and all these things, resist, resist, the audience picked out those words and captured that. But so did the Nazis. And the Nazi Party. And it was, it was shut down. So it was very mixed reviews to what was going on. And I think it's the type of show that will get mixed reviews because of, because of its content. And there's nothing, you, you know, there's no nudity. There's no foul language, really. There's, it's one of those shows that's provocative because of what it's saying. And it doesn't give you answers. It makes you debate. The amount of times during rehearsals that we've been talking and talking about what the show is and how it affects us. That's kind of what it's going to do, and it's polarizing. And I think that's why it's going to be interesting to see what a postmodern 2022 Northeastern Pennsylvania audience is going to get from this.
0: What kind of music are
1: you going to use? Incidental music? It's all incidental. A lot of it, I've got Jorge Mendez, which is is just beautiful instrumental music. Other classic composers... It's a more modern. It's a mix. Each character has a theme. And each scene and motif has a different connection. And more so than a lot of the other shows that I've done, I've always used music. There's a lot of underscore in this. I blame Arteau because it, it gives another layer to it. Whereas the actors are saying one thing, the music is saying something else. And the audience has to decide what's going on. Put these pieces together. And you will, by the time the play rolls on, it's going to be at least a two-and-a-half-hour play. As it goes on, you'll be able to see the connection between the themes and the music and what's chosen for each individual character. And when I work, I begin with music at audition. I, in fact, play pieces of music, and I ask the people auditioning, don't dance. i let your body react to this to see how they naturally relate to the oral stimuli of what the music does and how it moves them. So from day one, we've worked with the music. Usually with theater, we put a mask on. No, we're taking the mask off. We want it to expose and get raw, get in touch with ourselves. I like to say stop acting and start being. The character is a combination of what's written on the page by the author and the playwright, what the director sees, and then what the actor brings to it. If there's not a piece of that actor in that performance, there's no truth.
0: Where are you going to do this and what times and chances we have to see it?
1: The Flies is at our new location. It's 107 North Kaiser Ave in Old Forge. We open Thursday night, the 10th, and Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the 10th through 12th. We have shows at 8 p.m. And on Sunday, the 13th, we have our closing show at 6 p.m. And we ask, because of how we're doing seating, that reservations are made by emailing intrepidstheaterlab at gmail.com or reaching out to us on Facebook in advance. You'll be contacted with a confirmation or if we are sold out, options for other, other dates. But it's our brand new location. We used to be down in Kingston. Now we're up there. The space is bigger. It brings its own challenges, but This is like a new start and a premiere of of the lab up there. And I do, I I hope people come see it. I think it's something that they won't really see in the area. I don't know when the last time someone did the flies. (laughs) It's theater for the, the senses, in every sense of the word. Be it sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. We try to connect using every tool that we can in our toolbox. Every level, because each level of the senses is something deeper. Because ultimately, we want to get you in the gut. In some form or the other, we want to get you in the gut. And that means thrashing through your superego, your ego, even your id, and going deeper into almost what you call the soul. Because it's then that we could really begin to affect change. It's when we reach that dark place that we are afraid to go to that we've actually connected and the fever means something that experience will have meant something for someone.
0: Justin John Costello, who is founder and artistic director of Intrepidus Theatre Lab of Northeastern Pennsylvania, speaking with us about the upcoming production of The Flies by Jean-Paul Sartre at a new theatre for Intrepidus Lab and we have a chance to see the performances February 10th through the 13th. Curtain time, 8 p.m. on Thursday the 10th, right through till Saturday the 12th. And then on Sunday, February 13th, Curtain at 6. Reservations are required because of the COVID considerations. And you would email intrepidustheaterlab at gmail.com. And you'd spell it, I-N-T-R-E-P-I-D-U-S theater, with an R-E, theater, lab at gmail.com. There will be smoke, fog effects, strobe lighting, and a bit of mature subject matter, so they just want to let viewers know about that. But it's Intrepidus Theater Lab kicking off the 2022 season with the flies by Jean-Paul Sartre, and that's from February 10th through the 13th. Curtain time Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8, Sunday the 13th at 6. Reservations required. Intrepidus Theater Lab at gmail.com.